father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Well, hi there, and welcome to What's Lightsabers Precious? The Lore of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopedia podcast where we waste time with fictional wikis. I'm Ryan. And I'm Joanna. Hey. Hey, guys. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Joanna. How's it going, man? I'm okay. I got a cough drop in my mouth. I mean, that's really professional podcaster of me is really to suck on a, on a hard candy type object while recording, but... Yeah, uh, it's going to be disgusting. the mouth sounds. Hey, do you guys like those ASMR videos that are just a bunch of mouth sounds? Some people really do like those, though. I don't. I start to feel a bit nauseated when there's too many eating sounds. Right. I don't. I start noticing them when I can't not notice them. Yeah. Like there was that one woman on NPR whose name I forget, but every time she talked, I could always only hear her mouth clacks, like sounds. And I basically imagined her as a giant praying mantis in front of a microphone. Just got her mandibles clacking. Her mandibles clacking as she talked about the day's news. As she ate Hourglass's head. Yes. Do you have any Star Wars news? Uh, a little bit. Just this week, it was announced the second unit director for Star Wars Episode Nine. Yeah, is a black woman. All right, the first of any uh, first woman, the first woman to begin with. Yeah, and the first black woman. Yeah, which uh, which director? Her name is Victoria Mahoney. She's going to be right. the, the second unit director under J.J. Abrams on Episode Nine. Rad, rad. So that's cool. That's exciting. I feel like they've really tried with this latest trilogy to diversify. I think a little bit, yeah. The cast and I guess apparently the crew also. It's funny, when you go back and watch A New Hope, I was watching it with my mom and I was like, God, everyone is white! Yeah, except the aliens. But you don't get you don't get a person of color to Lando. Lando, yeah, and then Lando so, shows up, and you're again, like, he's the only one. Wow, he's not white. Amazing. Also, there's rumors going around because they're casting a, a middle aged woman for a new Star Wars movie, and the name they're giving for her is Mara. And uh, I don't know if you know anything about the extended universe. Is this Mara Jade? Possibly. Some people think it's just a placeholder in the casting call. But they're saying, well, Mara Jade might become, and Luke might be dead, but her, his, his, his wife may become a character in the film. He did not mention having a wife. Also, why would he have just abandoned his wife to go meditate on Porg Island? I don't know. Mara Jade's that a pretty- kind of mean. She's a pretty, like, cool, kind of Mary Sue character. She's kind of like the female Boba Fett where, like, everything cool happens to her. Like, she's like a, a bounty hunter, and she's also the Emperor's Hand, and she's a Force user, and has a lightsaber, and she's super cool with red hair, and strong female character. So, I, I She fights evil-doing in a sassy way. Exactly. Wears black leather and does cool flips. Whoa. So, I don't know. We'll see about that. That was just kind of the rumor right now, is that it could be... But they haven't really taken anything else from the extended universe, now have they? That's not true. The prequel movies have a bunch of stuff from the extended universe. Do they? Including something we're going to talk about today on my side of things. Oh, okay. Well, I stand corrected. Yeah. Do you have any Lord of the Rings news today? I don't. I blew my whole wad last week. Is Amazon's show still going to cost a billion dollars? It is, as far as I know, still going to cost a billion dollars. I mean, Jeff Bezos got to—he's got to be able to catering iguanas for yeah, that many say. cast and crew is not cheap. He's got to—it costs a lot. Literally, the only thing you're allowed to eat on the set of that show is iguanas. <laughs> there are so many pet stores; they don't have a reptile section anymore because Jeff Bezos bought them all. <laughs> like, if you're an actor on that show and you're like, "I'm a vegan," you're like, "I don't want to eat iguanas." It's like, well, then I guess you don't want to work. I guess you don't want to work. Have some Amazon money, eat that instead, vegetarian. 
shove that down your maw, this big pile of bills printed with Jeff Bezos' face on them. <laughs> it's only a matter of time. All right. Before he uh, is on the $100 bill. So. Yeah, yeah. And he is a weird, gross man. When he, they delivered the lizard lunches by drone every day to the set. It's like totally unnecessary and cost like, yeah. way too much. It's like, you realize we have perfectly accessible like roads to the set, Jeff. Like, you realize that. We have like drones. A, a normal transportation infrastructure. It's like, no, drones. My flying children will deliver the lizards. Bring me hundreds of iguanas by drone. Yes, yes, Each drone yes. is carrying like a single iguana yeah. and you have to like shoot it out of the air to like, get your lunch. <laughs> With an Amazon... Branded air rifle. That's where the billion dollars is Yeah, going. I think so. <laughs> so profligate. All right. But no, I don't have any Lord of the Rings news. You have some Lord of the Rings history then? I got some Lord of the Rings knowledge to drop on you. Okay. All right. So what do you know about the Rohirrim? They're a bunch of long-haired boys who love riding horses, getting out on the range, kicking up some dust, the hooves hitting the dirt. Rattling and riding around The Rough Riders of Middle Earth The Rohirrim I mean, you're kind of on the right track But I feel like you took it into cowboy camp territory At the end there Okay Which is fair Yeah Which is fair They do love horses a lot, as you will see Yeah But um, we're going to talk about the Rohirrim today The Rohirrim don't get the same glory As the more powerful kingdom of Gondor But they've been around just as long as those guys Yeah, I remember you telling me that yeah, plus their homeland never sank into the frickin' sea because they never tried to fight God, so they have that going for oh, them. They're also super inland. They're also, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because you remember, so like elves, men were born in the far east of Middle-earth, and then they migrated west to avoid getting spanked around by Morgoth, and also because they were scaled of the dark. The dark right? is scaly. The dark is too scaly. It's, Get me out of the dark. It spooks the ponies. Turn on the yites. Turn on the yites. And like elves, some men made it all the way to the west coast of Middle-earth, and some were like, eh, Screw it. And the Rohirrim are descended from the people who said screw it. Okay. So they just, like, could not be bothered. They're mavericks. They gotta ride their horses. They gotta ride their horses. They were just too into horses. They're like, um, are there horses in Valinor? Because if not, I'm not interested so, in going any closer. Are the Rohirrim, are they like a, a culture of horse girls? Yeah, they're basically a culture of horse girls. Horses. Horses. You want to see pictures of my horse? By the way, I'm not making fun of horse girls, like, at all. Horse girls are great, and they're an interesting... It's definitely, like, a genre of human. It's though. definitely a genre of human. It's like wolf shirts wolf is shirts a genre of human. Horse girls. Horse girls is definitely a genre of human. Yeah. It's like, that horse has a sensual intelligence that no man can ever live up to. And that's essentially where the Rohirrim were at. Aww. So way back in the first age, the first men branched into a few distinct groups. There were the wild men, who we've discussed before, and who actually play a part in this story later on. Wild boys. They actually do some wild boys. There were the Edain, i.e. the super honorable men who fought alongside the elves and were rewarded with the island of Numenor. Right. And, like, lived a super long time. Right. Then there were the Northmen, also known as the Northmen of Rovanian, and these cats lived in, big surprise, Rovanian. So I'm going to show you a map of Rovanian. I'm seeing a map. So do you see this area? So here's Mirkwood, <coughs> which is the forest that Bilbo and the dwarves journeyed spiders. through in The Hobbit with spiders and a really poncy king. I'm seeing the Iron Hills where the dwarves are from. Right. So Iron Hills up here. It's Erebor, the Lonely Mountain. Yes. And you see this river, the River Running, right mm -hmm. here. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so it was essentially the area between River Running and Mirkwood where the Northmen were living initially. Rovanian. Uh, Rovanian, yes, was the name of the area. That's a Stevie Nicks song. 
Yeah. It's about a witch. Let's do it. This is a song about a horse girl. It's a song about a horse girl. So that was as far west as the Northmen made it before they got all tuckered out. Okay. We know the Northmen settled in this area because of an absolutely classic piece of evidence. Massive deforestation. Oh, that's that's a classic human thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. And especially a Northman thing because the Northmen didn't care about trees, okay? Like, they didn't even care. The only thing they cared about was horses. Okay. So their attitude was very much like, screw trees, get horses. And it shows because they left a huge divot in the east side of Mirkwood that was still there like thousands of years later. Wow. I'll show you. You might have noticed it already. Oh, yeah. Right there. It's a chunk. Yeah, they took a chunk out. Because horses can't ride through trees. I mean, like, they can, I guess. But their horses had to run free. Like, no trees in the way. Okay. Uh, and it was called the East Bite of Mirkwood. Not bite like B-I-T-E, but bite like B-I-G-H-T. Oh, I thought it'd be like, ow! Yeah, take a bite out of it. Take a bite out of trees. It's like an apple. But bite, I had to look it up. Means a curve or recess in a coastline river or other geographical feature. And this is not the last time I had to look up a word in the dictionary for this episode. Bite. Is that a word that everyone uses? That is a word that J.R.R. Tolkien used on one occasion. Well, I think Ryan Johnson used it in Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Oh, did he? Canto Bite. That's that casino land. <gasps> did he mean a recess in a coastline river or other geographical feature? It was on a beach. Maybe it was a recess in the beach. I mean, it was like a, a big old Monte Carlo Casablanca on the beach. So, and they sort of had horses there. They did, like those dog things that they were the, racing. The around. racing deers. Yeah, they kind of had horses. It's all connected. It's all connected. Rovanian equals casino. Canto bite. Canto bite. Now the Northmen and their massive tree genocide were doing well for quite a while, but then two things happened. The first was a great plague. Okay. This was the same plague that devastated Gondor and led to the depopulation of Osgiliath, and we don't know what kind of plague it was. I think it was horse flu. It was horse flu. Oh my god, so like not only were you, you know, vomiting, high fever, Mm -hmm. but you would literally just start to go into horse. And I think it was more like mad horse disease, where like the horses were like, (laughs) and like foaming at the mouth and chomping down on people. I think that probably happened. And then once they bit you, you started doing the same thing. That plague swept through. And then 200 years later, there were the Wayne Riders. Wayne Riders. And, uh, yeah, actually, last night I, like, laughed myself awake because I started thinking of, like, Ghost Ride the Wayne. Yeah, Ghost Ride the Wayne. <laughs> but, um, Is that like when you, like, dance next to your horse while it's trotting? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you do. You just let it keep trotting and then you, like, dance along next to it and then you try to jump back on. I like it. Probably injure yourself horrifically. No, these, um, Wayne Riders were Easterlings who invaded the western part of Middle Earth and rode on Wayne's, aka Wagons. Oh. So think of wagon like a chariot, not like a little red radio flyer, although that would be a hilarious. I thought a wagon was going to be a new Middle Earth creature I'd never heard of no, before. No, it sucks, but unfortunately, it is a wagon. Or maybe they're like people with a speech impediment. They really like, they travel by storms. Like, we wide with the wane. We wide with the wane. We only wide when it's waning. Yeah. I'm only happy when it wanes. <laughs> <laughs> so in the 1800s and 1900s in the third age the wayne riders on their little red wagons mm-hmm. scooching along their mom pulling them the whole way yep demolished rovanian on their way to wreck gondor and by the way this was engineered by sauron freaking of course oh of course 
So the Northmen of Rovanian were forced to leave their homeland and journey further north up through the Vales of Anduin. And this migration was led by a guy called, and I know you're going to laugh at this because you're a butthole, Morweenie. <laughs> and Mar-weenie. His, his son was called Fort Weenie. I want less weenie in this story. I want more weenie. <laughs> so yeah, get it out of your system because there's some weenies in this story. More weenie. More weenie. Mar weenie. Fort weenie. That's good. Security at Fort Weenie is <laughs> top notch. <laughs> yep. Well, the Northmen of Rovanian couldn't really be the Northmen of Rovanian at this point because they weren't living in Rovanian anymore, right? So they changed their name to the Aetheid, which means horse people. Okay. So they're just leaning into it. It's like, yeah. Yeah, we wear, like, you know, shirts for Kentucky Horse Park and, like, have... Bolo ties. Black velvet paintings of, like, horses with their manes blowing in the wind on top of buttes. Yes, these hologram images of horses. So, kind of like, this is kind of like how Eowyn meant horse joy. Anytime you hear Eo, that's to do with horses. Her name means horse joy? Yeah, her name Eowyn means horse joy. I don't know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Horse joy. Horse joy. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Um, Aomer means like gallant horse or something like that. They're all horse people. They're all horse people. Aotheid. My goodness. Um, these dudes knew how to pick a theme and stick to it. And the Aotheid lived in the vales of the river Anduin. Yeah. And then by the headwaters of the Anduin for like 700 years. But just when they were really starting to settle in... You know, like, get the carpet laid down, make sure all the decor matched. Get a giant painting of Black Beauty to tie the whole room together. Then Gondor came a-knocking. And Gondor had been overrun again because there's only so much God can do when you build your kingdom next to freaking Mordor. So the steward of Gondor called in an assist from the Aetheid, who were now under the command of a guy called Aeorl. Now. Aeorl. That's a hard, that's a mouthful. Well, the Encyclopedia of Arda claims this guy's name should be pronounced Earl. But I'm not going to do that because it makes him sound like an electrician or something. My Earl. And plus, by that logic, Aetheid would be pronounced Aetherd, and Theoden would be pronounced Thirden. And I can't accept that even if it's true. So we're just not going to do that. So what's Aeorl mean? Aeorl means means Earl. (laughs) Oh, like the, not even like horse earl? No, just earl. It's like the root word What about of the EO? The the, that's a horse noise. Earl. Not in this case. When they came and knocked and they go, Ayo! Yeah, and they were like... That's not funny, guys. That's their names. You like, know, we, we chose that name because horses like are very spiritual to us. Like They mean a lot. The Aetheid saves Gondor's ass, and in return they were given land, and it was like a crap ton of land. Mm-hmm. So, enough to make a kingdom out of. This land was initially called... Kalinarthon, and it was scenic, and it was fertile, and there weren't that many friggin' trees, so the horses could run around. So the Aetheid took it, and they renamed it Rohan, and they filled it with an assload of horses. And now there are two big settlements in Rohan. The first was Edoras, which just means the courts. But the more interesting place is Helm's Deep, which according to Encyclopedia of Arda, is a great comb. Comb? Comb. C-O-O-M-B. And presumably they mean great as in big and not great as in high quality. Like, dude, have you seen that comb? Comb? That is a great comb. Is is it like bite? Is this an actual word? This is an actual word that I looked up in the dictionary. I call it a big cool castle. I had to... No, it's not... Well, it's... Okay, so I had to look up the word comb and apparently it's an indentation in a hillside. Okay. Because comb and bite and... 
Between comb and bite, I don't know why Tolkien was so allergic to the word indent, but anyway, there you have it. <laughs> so that's always cool to see. A great indent. A great indent. A great notch. So Helm's Deep wasn't just a great comb, though. No, no. It was also a great bunch of sparkly underground caverns. Cool. And that's where all the women and children hung out during Helm's Deep because sexism. But also, when Gimli was there, he saw those sparkly caverns and he was just like, mind blown. The like, mind blown away. Yeah, exactly. Well, first of all, they were caves. Yeah. So it's like the mines of Moria, but it sparkled and his dead cousins weren't in there. So it was like even better. That's perfect. Yeah, exactly. So Helm's Deep was pretty cool. By the way, though, Helm's Deep wasn't even built by the Rohirrim. They just found it and were like, nice, nice. Wait, all that castle town and stuff was already there? Yeah. Who built it? Gondor. Oh, okay. Yeah, because this area was like this really underpopulated region of Gondor initially, and then they gave it to Rohan after Rohan rescued them. But they put so much work into it. It's like... Yeah, but nobody was really living there. Like, especially after the Great Plague, it was super depopulated. They also... Gondor also built Isengard. Oh, wow, okay. And Sauron later decided to move there under the pretense of like, hey, you know, if you let me move here, I'll help protect you guys from Sauron. Like, this is really strategic. I'll, I'll like, help you guys out. Well, he did it. Instead, he and Sauron were, like, butt buddies and were just kind of, like, walking so, around with their hands in each other's back pockets. That's super cute. But yeah. So these are kind of like um, like the half-finished suburbs you see after the housing crisis. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. They're just, like, empty. All right. Right? They're pristine and they are extremely empty. Gotcha. So they found, they just sort of found Helm's Deep, which was not called Helm's Deep at the time, obviously. They renamed it after their ninth king, whose name was Helm Hammerhand. That is a good name. Which is, yes, it's an excellent name now, and it has an excellent story behind it. Therm Scissor Punch or Helm Hammerhand? Therm Scissor Punch is a funnier name. Yeah. I would argue that Helm Hammerhand is, like, a more stately name. I think it sounds a bit more better. Yeah, right? a bit better. Therm Scissor Punch, like, if... <laughs> I think, like, on the ballot. Even I think... with the implicit threat, if you met somebody called Therm Scissor Punch, it I... would be really funny. Hammerhand sounds like he could do a bit more with his hands than just punching, though, right? Right. He's a, he's like a, he's like a, you know, he could be the judge. He could put his big hammery hand on the table and be like, order in the court. Or he could, he could pound in a, a pavement stone for, you know, the people or, or pave over a pothole or. Basically, you want him to do like manual labor and, and also like house for, for the people. Well, the people's you're champion. Gonna, you're about to find out why he was called Helm Hammerhand and it's yeah. not so much like, it's kind of the people's champion situation. It's awesome. Just let me tell okay. it. So, Helm Hammerhand's rule was plagued by war with Rohan's arch enemies, the Dunlendings. And the Dunlendings... Like, we're done lending you anything. We're done lending you. You, you want to take out another loan? No, no you haven't so even paid done. back the last one. We are done lending. No, the Dunlendings were wild men who were actually indigenous to Rohan, but got driven out. Ooh, I don't like this story so anymore. This yikes. Is, you, know, you made the Rohan sound like cool horse people. Now I know they're just like... The, the Manifest Destiny Cowboys I made them out to be at the beginning. Well, I mean, uh, that's something Saruman actually points out when he's sending the Dunlendings to attack in The Lord of the Rings. He's like, they took your lands. And the Dunlendings are like, they did do that. And then the Rohirrim are like, crap, we did do that. So yeah. I'll give you some info on the Dunlendings from the Lord of the Rings wiki, which... By the way, I don't trust as much as the Encyclopedia of Arda because, for one thing, it says the Dunlending spoke English. Sorry? They, they did not. Nobody spoke English. Nobody right? spoke English. 
I don't know if it's saying that because, like, a lot of the Rohiric language that we hear is inspired by Old English, but I don't think that's supposed to be what they were actually saying. I think that's Tolkien's way of saying their language was, like, a distantly related to Westron, right. the same way Old English is related to Modern English. But anyway, yeah, it says that, like, the Dunlending spoke English. They did not speak English. You should go on there and edit it. Maybe I will. It says that the Dunlendings were about 5'6 to 5'11". Between 150, 190 pounds, had white skin, used farm tools as weapons, and possessed, quote, very dirty yellow and black teeth. So they're kind of like just dirty peasants. They're like dirty peasants. They're not like these noble horse lords. I see. They're, they're like the indigenous people. This like they were gross here the, rabble. They were here the whole time? They were there the whole time. Aw. Yeah, I know. Poor dude. So, during Helm Hammerhand's reign, Dunlendings captured Isengard, which Saruman wasn't living there yet, right? Yeah. And they used it as a base of operations. And at this time, the king was approached by this guy called Freka, who was a wealthy land-owning Dunlending with Rohiric blood. And Freka wanted to marry his son Wolf off to Helm Hammerhand's daughter as like a power grab. So a wolf shirt marrying a horse girl? I don't think so. I never thought those two streams would cross. Never, ever. I thought that, to be honest, though, I think there's, like, a lot of overlap. <laughs> I think, like, horse girls and wolf shirts, like, the overlap, the Venn diagram is, like, a perfect circle, almost. It's, it's pretty close. It's really close. Um, also, people who wear t-shirts with, like, Native American faces on them, they like, crying Native yeah, Americans. They have, like, pewter dragons. Pewter dragons. Yeah, that's just all the same. Yep. When he went to ask Helm for Helm's daughter's hand in marriage, he brought an army with him just as a persuasive measure. That's an- okay. But Helm was not at all impressed by this. In fact, not only did Helm Hammerhand deny Frecka's request, he also punched Frecka in the head so hard that Frecka died. Take that, mother Frecka. And that is where the name Hammerhand comes from. Because his hand was like... he punched a dude... Single punch. Punched a dude's head so hard that the guy died. Reference the song a lot, but why has he got to be so rude? Don't you know a human too? You're you're not. You're done, Lenny. You You have dirty yellow and black teeth. Get off my property. Just love that guy from Magic got clocked in the face and died in the middle of that song. I would love to punch the guy from Magic in the head. I don't want to kill him because I don't want to kill anyone. I'm I'm nonviolent. But the guy from Magic, I would definitely punch in the head. With a hammer hand. With a hammer hand. That's so cool. This was obviously really dope. Yeah. But it pissed the Dunlendings off more, and Helm was eventually defeated at the Fords of Isengard and then besieged at Helm's Deep, and he died there without a direct heir. Mm. So, oops. So that just goes to prove the old adage, you can't solve everything by punching people in the head. You know, that old chestnut. You can solve certain problems, though. You can solve certain problems. I mean, it solved the problem... Uh, in the short term. Yeah. But in the long term, not really. So, Helm's nephew took the throne, and later kings, up through Theoden, the 17th king of Rohan, were descended from Helm's nephew. And of course, as you know from Lord of the Rings, Theoden also died without a direct heir. Uh, his son Thadred was killed by one of Saruman's orcs. Right. So Theoden's nephew, Amur, became the first king in the third line of succession. A couple facts about some of the more prominent Rohirrim characters in the Lord of the Rings. Yes. So Amur, King Theoden's nephew, was only 28 when he became the king of Rohan. He ruled for 65 years, meaning he died at age 93. So that's not bad going for someone with no Dunedain blood. That's I was like extremely say, yeah. old. It's only six years older than Aragorn was at the Battle of Helm's Deep, but Aragorn's like a freak of genetic nature. So. Right, yeah. Um, Eowyn, King Theoden's niece and slayer of the Witch King of Angmar. She's cool. Yes, she is. Uh, she actually marries Faramir of Gondor. Really? Yeah, i.e. Boromir's younger brother, who's right. dead, Denethor treated like crap. Um, in the theatrical edition of the Peter Jackson movies, you don't see this like at all. 
So the only hint that you get is that Eowyn and Faramir are, like, standing next to each other at Aragorn's coronation. Yeah, I never would have caught that. Standing next to each other equals married. Basically. I mean, Basically. It, yeah, well, what, is a, what is a king's coronation but everyone else can be married at the same time? That's my understanding of how coronations work. Basically, all the hobbits were married. <laughs> yeah, Because they stand next to each other. Yeah, and, and not just the one who was called Mary. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> In the extended edition, though, you do get a nice little, like, wordless scene of Eowyn and Faramir bonding in the houses of the healing, which is, like, Gondor's municipal hospital. Right. You, you get something. Um, to be honest, though, like, you barely get more in the book, right? So I have kind of conflicting feelings about the Eowyn and Faramir romance. I think we can all agree that Tolkien's romances tend to be somewhat underfed. Yeah. And the Eowyn-Faramir relationship is especially so. Um, it does feel a bit tacked on to me, to be honest. And I especially don't like this one bit in the book where it says that Eowyn's desire to be a warrior just evaporated once she met Faramir and she felt at peace with her fate. Because we all know those two things are mutually exclusive, right? Tolkien. So that annoys me. But I can see where Faramir and Eowyn theoretically would have some common ground to bond over. So both of them have been sort of forced into roles they're not comfortable with and aren't suited for. Mm -hmm. Uh, Faramir has been forced into the role of Captain of the Guard and more specifically into the role of his dead bro. Right. uh, Whose legacy Faramir can never live up to because he's not Sean Bean. Uh, Eowyn has been forced into the role of a woman of the court, given all these sort of ceremonial and administrative duties, as opposed to the hands-on work she'd really like to do. So I can reconcile the relationship intellectually. Yeah, they're both kind of like second bananas. Who have yes, to like, you know, exactly. Get overshadowed by their older siblings. Older sibs. Yeah. Uh, I just wish we'd gotten a more believable buildup. Is all, but Eowyn and Faramir had at least one child, which we know because we have the name of their grandson, which is Barahir. And you may remember that Barahir is one of Aragorn's ancestors. So specifically, Barahir is Baron's father. Okay. And Aragorn wears the ring of Barahir. So named after him? Well, yeah, it's like, it ultimately is a bit like naming your child after an old flame. But I guess Faramir never has to know. Is it really though, like naming after an old flame? It's like well, it's your old flame's ancestor, like your old flame's great uncle or something. But it's like, hard not to believe that um, she did that out of respect for Aragorn because she just thought he was like. Well, maybe it's just like it. a, maybe that's just like the common name that year. You know, like how Ryan was the most popular baby name in nineteen eighty-seven. Yeah, maybe Barahir was a really Barahir, popular name. Yeah, but Barahir. Well, maybe they gave him a name after like the um, Dunedain tradition because Barahir is in no way a Rohiric name. Like, Barahir was a really popular boy's name that year. Tiffany was the girl's name. <laughs> yeah. Every other kid named Barahir or Tiffany. Yeah. Oh, my God. And they started, like, getting all these crazy spellings, yeah. like B-A-A-R-A-A-H-Y-E-R. Yeah, like, putting different letters on the front. So it'd be like, Darahir and... and Brarahir. Brarahir. Jarahir. <laughs> And then Aiden and Caden. And then Aiden and Caden. <laughs> so annoying. Finally, there's uh, Grima Wormtongue. Oh, Grima. He's just this great slimy little toad of a character that every good story needs. Brad Dorif. He's so good. He was so good. You know what's like a like an interesting thing I remember from the special edition is that we all know Brad Dorif is not English. No. At no. all. But I guess he's kind of a method actor because he spoke with an English accent the entire time he was on set. And then after filming Wrapped, he started going up to the guys and he's like, hey guys, that was like a great experience. And and like, like, and like, Why are you, like, it sounded like he was putting on this horribly fake American accent. Hey, friends. You know, like, hi, friends. My name is Brad. I am American Cowboy Man. Yeehaw. <laughs> but that's, no. That's super funny. Yeah. So alongside Gollum, I think Grima Wormtongue is a really good refutation of the claim that Tolkien only wrote black and white 
the characters. Because what isn't totally clear in the theatrical version of the Peter Jackson movies, though they did make it explicit in the extended edition, is that Wormtongue is ultimately the one who kills Saruman. Yeah. Uh, in the movie version, Wormtongue stabs Saruman in the back, literally. Mm-hmm. Yes. In the book, Wormtongue straight up slits Saruman's throat. That's hardcore. Yeah, and as the Encyclopedia of Arda puts it, At his death, a form of gray mist arose, looking towards the west from which he had come so long ago. But a wind blew out of the west, and the last remnant of Saruman was blown into nothingness. Pretty cool. So if you want to know how a wizard dies, apparently that. They turn into mist and blow away. Alright, don't believe that in. Yeah, so, you know, good job, Grima. Like... Yeah. It's, I mean, kind of, it's kind of a morally gray character. Everything else you did was, like, extremely skeevy, uh, especially the way you creeped on Eowyn, but at least you did one thing right in your sad little life. Anywho, it should be noted that Rohan survived well into the Fourth Age, and it existed as an independent kingdom during and after Aragorn's rule. Yeah. Also, Mary went back there in his later years to do, like, genealogy research. Okay. Uh, but that's uh, part of another story for another day. All right. In closing, I would like to say that the Rohirrim had two very good pejorative nicknames. The Dunlendings called them straw heads. Straw heads. Because they're blonde hair. Right, Filthy right. stinking straw heads. And at least one Uruk called them horse boys. Horse boys. <laughs> no daughter of mine's marrying one of them horse boys. Uruk's horse boys. Get off my porch, you rotten stinking horse boy. Horse boys, back on the menu. <laughs> Or boys. boys. <laughs> I said boys for any time of that sentence. Crap. No, I feel stupid. Damn it. So, and that's what I have to say about Rohirrim. I just had a thought, though. Yeah. You said Grima Wormtongue. He is a uh, Rohirrim, right? Uh, he is. Can you picture that guy on a horse? No, I can't. Presumably at one point he was on a horse. Oh. But I picture him as, like, you know how in Sparta there had to be at least one, like, Dweebus who yeah. didn't, like, fighting and killing and kicking people into pits while screaming the name of his city and, like, just had no interest. Yeah. And people were like, God, who is this guy? Is he even, like... Is he even from here? Yeah. He doesn't like horses. Like fighting. What's wrong with he him? doesn't like having sexual relationships with underage boys. Yeah. Like, who is this guy? Grima, why don't you like horses? Like, all the cool kids. Yeah. Like, Grima, do you even like a horse? I like books. Books are lame. Horses are cool. Horses are cool. We wouldn't have books without horses. <laughs> yeah. Because horses ride all our bodies. (laughs) I mean, like, the other thing is, like, they've also gone out of their way to make him look different, because he's not a straw head. No, he's a black-haired, pale-skinned boy. He is. Sort of greasy goth kid Mm -hmm. in a a greasy goth bathrobe. I always thought that that was because of, like, the dark influence over him. But do you think he was like that always? I think he was just like that. I think he was, like, a little dweebus, and I think that's why it was so easy for Saruman to get his hooks in him. I mean, his name is Grima Wormtongue. didn't fit in. Um, he couldn't get the girl that he liked, okay. so he was an incel to boot. Can we assume Wormtongue is, like, a name given to him? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. His name was Grima. Hold on. Grima, I mean, Grima alone of... is not a very good name. It's not a very nice-sounding name. It sounds, like, greasy. Hold on. Uh, his real name was... Brad Dourif. Interesting. Brad Dourif. Grima, son of Galmod. Galmod, okay. Galmod. So, yeah, no, Wormtongue was a name given to him later when his tongue started getting kind of wormy. Okay. His tongue wasn't initially wormy. Normally, initially he had, a, he had a normal tongue. It was late onset worm tongue. Late onset worm tongue. Wow, okay. Yeah. We're here, we're starting to interesting. Yeah. So, you horse know, boys. I, I just like throw those in there so you can learn about the horse boys. Horse boys. Horse boys. So, I think it's a perfect transition into my topic today. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's kind of a continuation of most Eisley Madness a little bit, but we're talking about a specific character and their species. You talk about the Rohirrim. Yes. I'm talking about the Rodians. 
You talked about Grima. I'm talking about Greedo. Greedo Wormtongue? Greedo Wormtongue. Greedo Son of Galmod? Yeah, I'm talking about Rodians and Greedo today. All right. Now, what do you know about Rodians, Joanna? I know that there is an unidentified one wearing a jacket. There are. According to Wikipedia. Yes. The Rodians. They're kind of one of the more common extended universe species you see in Star Wars. There's none in the new movies, which I've kind of bummed out about, because they're, like, they're all over the place in the prequels. And right, the trilogy. right. If you don't know a Rodian, you know Greedo, the guy who stops Han Solo and gets shot by him in the cantina. That's that's a Rodian. They're kind of like these, they're retho-mammalian, they describe them as, because they're kind of like, they have mammalian features, but they're also kind of like scaly and bug-like and stuff. They're somebody's scale-sona. Yeah, pretty much. If that's a thing. I don't know if they call them scale-sona. I think they do. I think they do. Do they call them the scale-sona? Maybe. All right, cool. They call them scalies, know that. Everybody Google scale-sona. Don't do that. And tell us if what comes up. They're, they're from the planet Rodia. Okay. And... Like all species in Star Wars are known for one thing. Uh, and in this is... case, they're known for being violent. I thought it would be for their fetching red high heels. Their high heels are very nice. Which is a thing that the actor who played Greedo, actress? Yeah, actress. Actress who played Greedo was uh, was wearing was under the table. Red, red high heels under the table. Yeah. It's very fetching look up pictures. So yeah, Greedo's people, they've got bug eyes, antennas, pointy ears, snoots, suction cup fingers. Snoots, that's such a cute word. I, I, that wasn't the wiki. I just, Wikipedia, I just kind of put the next thing. Okay. It's a snoot. What do you call that mouth? Yeah. Little, little, like, tape your nose, you know, whatever you want to yeah, call it. Yeah, it's really cute. But yeah, they're, they're violent. Their society's entirely made up of warring clans, constant battles, hunts, gladiatorial contests, and only the top warriors from each clan are allowed to actually leave Rodia to take on work as bounty hunters really? or mercenaries. Yeah. So Greedo's like a top class warrior? Then why'd he get <laughs> well, shot? Well, why'd he die like a chump? You're going you're gonna to find out in the story Ooh, of Re- like Greedo why he doesn't fit into that category. Okay. Even though they're really violent, they also were famous in the galaxy for their theater. What? Rodian theater. So So when you died in Rodian theater, did you, like, die in real life? Well... It's because they were violent. Originally, yes. Because it was... What? Originally, a long, long time ago in Rodia's history, uh, the leaders noticed that their population numbers were dwindling from all the constant battles they were having. (laughs) And they're like, our species is going to go extinct if we don't do something about this. That is such a... Dumb so, I know. Problem to have. I know. It's dumb. But the, we're literally so stupid and kill each other so frequently that so, like we're dying out. So the clan leaders got together. So okay, we're gonna do some staged fights. We're gonna do like, kind of like wrestling, you know, a bit of like you know, kayfabe going on here, right? Okay. And so they started these staged fights. But over time, they started to bring stories into the fights. They started to make them more complex and choreographed. And before long, you had Rodian theater and became highly regarded among the galaxy as one of the most poignant and incredibly violent forms of drama. <laughs> It's so poignant and incredibly vile. See, in the old days, they would actually kill them, but nowadays they have, like, hollow technology, so they can make it look like people are getting beheaded and, and blood sprays everywhere with, like, their, their holograms and stuff. God. Um, and, and so it, it mentioned how their plays go. It's usually, like, a couple hours of story before de- devolving into complete <laughs> melee on stage. So it's like every single play ends in a slaughter. And in violence, yes. It's like um, how, you know, Shakespeare's tragedies would always end in a bunch of people dying and his comedies would end in a bunch of people getting married, except in this case, both tragedies and comedies end in people dying. <laughs> yeah, so they have a lot of comedy in their plays, but they always end up in huge battles anyway, so. That's comedic. Yeah, yeah. And so throughout the galaxy, the Rodian theater troops would travel around each of the warring clans had their own theater troupe that could reenact their battles and victories and legends. And so if you weren't like a super strong Rodian, you could always just join, become an actor and do that instead. All right, cool. So most Rodians So there's either- something for theater kids to do. So like if Grima Wormtongue had been a Rodian, he could have been an actor. He could have just done theater. He could have tripped the boards. I mean, he's like, he's kind of a, you know, he's, he's like a slightly hammy guy anyway, so he probably would have been good in theater club. Definitely. Yeah. He could have been good in Rodian theater, Rohirrim theater, whatever he was into. Yeah. 
I imagine Rohirrim horse. Theater would have a lot of horses on stage. I think it's just all horses. You know how horses write all the books? They yeah. also do all the acting. Yeah, so like the you know like how in Shakespeare's day only only men could be in the plays? It's like all horses <laughs> all with like horses. man man masks on. <laughs> Every single human character has to be played by a horse. It's illegal <laughs> it's otherwise. Illegal. <laughs> but Grima they can make an exception for it. Yeah, he's, absolutely. He's a nerdist. But yeah, so that's kind of like the Rodian species as a whole. They're kind of renowned for being, you know, these hot-tempered little hunter boys. But now we'll go into the story of Greedo. And this mostly comes from a story called A Hunter's Fate, Greedo's Tale, okay. by Tom and Martha Veach. Now, Greedo's story, I think it'd either be like a, a Coen Brothers kind of comedy of errors about a criminal in over his head, or like a musical in Rodian theater. Oh, okay. So you can help me decide. Or both. Or I think a combination. I think like, it's- Can you imagine how much fun that'd be? Like this Coen Brothers, like sort of bumbling criminals movie, but also, also with songs. But also lots of violence because it's Rodian theater. I love that combination. Yeah. Now I wish that movie existed. Because he's like, you know, you could have like the opening intro, like like Hamilton. Right? Yeah. Just, it'd be a song about Greedo. And he sings like, oh, he's not- I'm throwing- Greedo, I'm a Rodian. He's not, he's not throwing away his shot. There's a million things I haven't done. Except he- Because I'm bad at- Bounty hunting. <laughs> and all the people come out on the stage, and there's like this little roadie, and it comes out, and it's like, me, I trusted him. This bounty hunter guy goes, me, I cheated him. And then Han Solo's like, I'm the damn, damn fool who shot him. him. <laughs> yeah. They're going to give that whole story right now, so. Greedo did give away his he shot. Did. <laughs> he did. So, Greedo grew up on a jungle world with his mother and little brother, whose name was Pukwiduk. And his whole childhood was pretty peaceful. They spent time playing in the woods, running around, looking out for these things called manka cats, which are like these big cougars who lived in the jungle. Oh, sounds idyllic. It turns out his clan, that he's from, the Tetsu clan, fled Rhodia before Greedo was born. Uh, after his father, Greedo the Elder, who was the leader of their clan, was killed by his rival, Navik the Red. Oh, no! So the entire Tetsu clan took off of Rhodia and found a new peaceful planet far away, and the adults of the clan made sure not to tell the kids about their violent history. They didn't want them to even know they were Rodians. They just wanted them to kind of live peacefully in the jungle, not to worry about the bloodshed of their homeworld. So one day, when he was older, Teen Greedo and his little brother Pequiduck were running around the jungle, and they found a secret hangar bay with all of their ships. Oh! And he could have had this Moana-type moment where he starts singing about, like, you know, his people and about the water calling him and everything. I am Greedo! <laughs> But anyway, no. Uh, before he could do that, Navik the Red's dudes came. They, what were they doing there? They found the colony. They've been hunting the Tetsu clan to extinction. Oh my god. Why do they have such a bee in their bonnet about the Tetsu clan? I don't know, man. So Greedo's family were forced to hop right into those ships and escape their peaceful, idyllic world for new new pastures. And the new pasture they picked was Nar Shaddaa. Oh. You know Nar Shaddaa? We talked about it a little bit. It's like smuggler's moon of the hot yep, homeworld. Yep, yep, yep. Criminal underbelly. And because place you can go unnoticed. Yeah, but how are you supposed to like raise nice peaceful kids there? Exactly. It's tough. Because, you know, Nar Shaddaa, you can be a new man. But of course, Greedo and his bro became street punks almost immediately. Yeah. He learned the ways of the streets from his pal, whose name was, <laughs> this is how it describes him in the story. Anki Fremp, a scup biomorph. Whoa, I don't know what any of those were. <laughs> no, I don't either. Anki Fremp. Anki Fremp, a scup biomorph. What's scup? That's a species. And what's a biomorph? I thought- biomorph. They never explained it. There's like, Anki <laughs> taught the ways of the street by Anki Fremp, a, sc- a scup biomorph. They just like threw some random sci-fi sounding words together. They're like, yeah, we have, we don't need to elaborate. Pretty much. It's yeah. just that. That's yeah. what he is. But Anki's his best bud, kind of his, his uh, artful dodger on the streets of Narshada. Oh, cool. When he was 19, Greedo saw two bounty hunters, Spurch Warhog Goa and Diz Natats, 
kill an Imperial Spice Inspector. Oh. And Greedo thought this was the coolest thing ever because he said, these are cop killers. Oh, Greedo. F the police. So he started following him around. And at one point, they were attacked by this huge cyborg named Gorm. And Greedo shot Gorm in the back, saving their lives. And they're like, hey, kid, you're not so bad. Hey, this kid's got, you know, he's got what we're looking for. And so they offered him a share of the bounty and the spice officer they killed. And as thanks, Greedo told them where the rebels were hiding out. Where they kept all their weapons, which happened to be the same level, level 88, where his people were all living at the moment. Oh in, my god. In the slums. He's like, listen, the uh, the Imperials have a good bounty on if you can give an Imperial, uh, a rebel location. You know, you know okay, that's kind of slimy of him to like give the rebels away, but at the same time, he's living in poverty. Like, I know. He the re- what have the rebels ever done for him, you know? He's young, scrappy, and hungry. He's got to do his best, right? Yeah. Not giving uh, away his shot no, until, until later. <laughs> then he does. So Anki Fremp, like Greedo was bragging Anki Fremp about this. He's like, yeah, I got these new friends. They're bounty hunters. They're going to let me in on their whole scheme and everything. Anki. And Anki wants in on it. And Greedo's a huge jerk about it. But your friends. He's like, I got new friends, Anki. They're cool. They're not scout biomorphs like you. They want to, I have a little conversation from the story. Do you want to read it with yes, me? Yes, I do. Do you want to play Anki or do you want to play Greedo? Anki. Okay. Oh, it's Anki. Sorry. Anki, yeah. You're going to be a bounty hunter? Yeah, my friend Warhawk Goa said he'd teach me the trade. He said some of the best bounty hunters in the galaxy are Rodians. Well, do you think he'd teach me to be a bounty hunter too? <laughs> I don't think Scuff's ever known to do much in the way of bounty killing. And then it says Anki looks crestfallen. Yes. <laughs> well, that's. Ri- I mean, like, I don't know anything about scuffs, but yeah, he's he kind of broke Anki's little heart. That's there. kind of rude. Although maybe, in fairness, maybe they're like, um, you know. Giant flatworms that like move by farting or something, and like so, there's just literally no way they would ever sneak up on anyone. He described him as a near human with closely spaced eyes and yellow skin and brittle hair. His brittle, maybe his hair. When his brittle hair snaps, it's so loud that it just alerts his prey, yes. and that's why he can't be a bounty, hunter. a bounty hunter. So Greedo planned to use that bounty money he was getting to buy himself a new spaceship. He found just the right one. It was used in good shape. Fourteen thousand credits. All it needed was some new power couplings, and so, because he's Greedo, he decided to steal them. Of course he did. Why pay for it? He found just the couplings he needed outside of a busted old YT-1300 that was in for repairs. Apparently the owner won it in a card game, it was being fixed up on Arshada. But just as he wrapped his Rancor skin jacket around the couplings and was going to sneak away with him, a big old Wookiee hand grabbed oh, him. Oh, this is where, this is where... And oh, Chewie was about to rip his arms off, because yes, this was the Millennium Falcon. And that's what Wookiees do. Yep. Uh, before Chewie could do that, though, Han stepped in and he said, oh, well, it's okay, buddy. It's okay, buddy. Here's what we'll do. You give me that cool jacket, you can leave alive. Are you serious? Yes. He took his jacket? So he took his Rancor skin jacket and let Greedo leave with the broken power couplings from the Millennium Falcon. So then Greedo was just a, an, an identified Rodian not wearing a jacket. No, exactly. He's <laughs> everything he's not supposed everything to be. he's not supposed to be. That's so unnatural. And so this, of course, pissed him off big time. He's like, you embarrassed me. Greedo's a little hothead. It so. was like a Letterman jacket. Uh, yeah. He's like, I worked hard. I did four semesters of band to get that letter. <laughs> I have an ep- academic letter. Yeah. <laughs> Warhog Goa, the bounty hunter who was going to give him the bounty, came to Greedo after he had the money and said, Listen, buddy, you can learn from me. I can teach you the ways of bounty hunt. Learn the ropes from the best. Or I can give you the money and I never have to see you again. It was a choice, right? Yeah. Like, and the way he put it as, like, do you want to learn the trade from an expert? Or do you want a few nights on a town and a down payment on a hot rod? You'll probably crash in a week. And Greedo, since he's a dum-dum... Took him up on the bounty hunting offer. Teach me your ways. No, man, that's like a first taste is free kind of situation. Exactly. So he got 
pretty much scam. There's a little, like, thought of Warthog Goa here. It's what he's thinking. He says, Fool kid fell for it! All I gotta do is teach him a few secrets and then most likely get aced in a month or two. Maybe he'll make a good bounty hunter, though I never saw Rodin good for anything except killing unarmed dognots. <laughs> oh my god! He didn't care about him at all! No, he's, he's getting Guido thought he was gonna be a father figure! He's gonna be a bother figure. Ooh, Joanne, that's very good. So not long after that, the Imperials got the information of where the rebels were hiding, and they attacked level 88. <gasps> Greedo and Goa escaped on Goa's ship, the Nova Viper, just as level 88 exploded, with Greedo's whole family down there as well. Did they literally all his people died? Like, all the Tetsus? Mm-hmm. Wow, Greedo. Was he sad, or was he just, like, at such a slime ball at this point? He's like, I don't care, I just want to go get my jacket. I think he, yeah, it, it, Book said he was sad, but he had to, like, keep it all in. He didn't want to appear weak in front of his new bounty hunter buddies. Oh, man. So, the streets, man, they just swallow kids uh, up. For real, I know, in the ghetto, right? So they went to Tatooine, of course, that's where you go when you're, yeah, you know, you're, you know you're criminal boy. And, villainy. and they met the big man himself, Jabba the Hutt. And Greedo immediately volunteered to take on the Han Solo bounty, the contract, uh, out of revenge for embarrassing him and for taking his jacket, and also to prove himself to Jabba in one fell swoop. He's like, it's perfect. Jabba, am I cool yet? Am, am I cool, cool yet? Am I cool? Jabba, I need validation, Jabba. So <laughs> my parents are dead, Jabba. I saw this internal monologue and be like, I'll be the greatest bounty hunter! I'm not throwing away my shot! You know? <laughs> Not yet, you're not. He's on way over his head, and Goa knew it, but let him take the contract anyway. Before Greedo met Han Solo at the cantina, he met him a couple times before that as well. And I have a little conversation between Greedo and Han here, if you want to read it with me. Yeah. Okay. I'll be Han. Okay. Han Solo? Who wants to know? Greedo. I work for Jabba the Hutt. Greedo. Oh yeah, I remember you. The kid who tried to steal my power couplings. Okay, good for you. Now you're working for Jabba. Listen, tell him the truth. I came to Tatooine for one reason, to pay him. Nixie Jabakluton is tat class solo. They put all of his conversation in, in Rodian, but I, I translated it out here for us. Oh, they did? Okay, cool. Yeah. Jabba doesn't believe in dorsal spine parasites to tell the truth solo. Dorsal spine? That is like such an awesome... So where was Greedo's spine then? Like in front? I, I think, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know Rodian physiology. Yeah, well, what does that overfed vermiform know? Do you really think I'd come anywhere near this place if I didn't have the money? All right, then. Give me the money, Solo. Then Greedo will be on his way. Yeah, tell you what, Greedo. Tell you what. It's not quite that simple. The loot is bolted into the frame of the Falcon here. Secret hiding place, understand? Why don't you come back tomorrow morning and I'll hand it over. Easy as pie. How does that sound? No, get it right now. I'll wait. I can't get it now. Listen, if you wait until tomorrow, I'll throw in a little bonus. A couple thousand credits just for you. How's that sound? That sounded good. <laughs> I Make- imagine that like a Ron Howard. Yeah. <laughs> that sounded good. <laughs> Make it 4,000. 4,000? Are you crazy? Oh, all right. You got me over a barrel, pal. We'll do it your way. 4,000 for you. First thing in the morning. It's a deal. Han palmed his blaster in case the green kid changed his mind. But a minute later, Chewie gave the all-clear grunt and Solo relaxed. Great, Chewie. When that punk comes around tomorrow morning, all he'll find is a big grease spot on the hangar floor. <laughs> in other words, he's not getting that jacket no, back. No, he's not. You ain't gonna get that 4,000 credits or that jacket. So, yeah, or that shot. Rito's getting played from every angle. <laughs> He's such a useless dude. He's so pathetic. I know. Uh, so we went back the next morning and, you know, 
He goes like, Greedo, they ain't gonna pay you, buddy. He's like, they're gonna, they're gonna pay me. I they know they said, would. they said they would. And of course they don't. <laughs> they're gone. He's uh, not like trusting for like this career criminal. Well, you can see, obviously he's not the top of his clan. Yes. He only got this far in Bounty Honey because his family fled the planet they were from. So. Right. Uh, so he went back to Jabba, and of course Jabba is pissed. But he spares Greedo's life, and instead of killing him, he severs Greedo's contract and makes it an open bounty. Anyone can take this bounty now in Han Solo, and it's 100,000 credits, so everybody wants this guy. So Greedo's, like, even more desperate now to get now this guy. Now he's gotta get him, yeah. So Greedo and Goa went to stake out the cantina away for Han, and they sat at a table with two other Rodian bounty hunters. Uh, Goa hyped up Greedo, basically making fun of him in front of the other Rodians who were there. Oh were like, my we're, god! We're both, like, actually, like, renowned hunters from their planet. Like, I feel sorry for him, because he's so over his head, but... Yeah. At the same time, I don't know. No. He, like, let his family die, so who cares? Yeah. While they're there, an old man chops off a thug's arm with a laser sword. Ooh, gotta see that coming! Finally, after the commotion, Solo is alone, and Greedo made his approach. Because he's not throwing away his shot! And there's a little paragraph that describes his mindset as he's approaching Han Solo. I think it's a very good paragraph. It's kind of poetic. The moment had come. Greedo felt a mixture of fear and excitement. He closed his eyes and gathered his energies. Suddenly, his mind filled with a bright image of a jungle world, dripping green neon leaves and a gathering of little huts and busy green bodies. He saw himself and his brother, Paquiduck, running under the tendril trees, running toward the village. He saw his mother waiting for them. He saw himself and his brother run to her, and she held out her arms and hugged them both. Then he was inside the vision, looking up into her eyes. She was crying. What's the matter, mother? Why are you sad? I am sad, and I am happy, Greedo. I am sad because of what must happen. I am happy because you are coming home. Greedo thinks. Are you stupid, Greedo? Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, I'm sure it's nothing to worry about. And so he walks Portent over. my own demise. He walks over and gets his shot right between the eyes. Oh, no. And of course, he was shot first. He did. I know this is a hotly debated thing, but. Han shot first. Han shot first. Greedo didn't even get a shot off. As no. far as I'm concerned. And actually, I read the most recent Star Wars novelization that yes. is, you know, officially under the Disney canon. Greedo doesn't shoot at all. So even Disney, yeah. even Disney, there's a kid-friendly Disney is like, yeah, that's dumb. So later on, Goa, the, the Majorian bounty hunters, they're having a little bit of an exchange before Goa leaves the planet. And they give him a reward on behalf of Navik the Red for helping them wipe out the Tetsu clan once and for all. What? All, wait, all that time well, they were the like guys in on... with Navik the Red? Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, there's kind of a, a funny aftermath here. After his death, Warher the bartender, the guy's like, no blasters, ground up Greedo's body to make a powerful liquor. Ew, why? <laughs> wait, sorry. Sorry, do Rodians bleed like 100% pure grain alcohol or something? I read that they have a crazy pheromone smell to them, and so I think it was probably something Sexy. like that. Sexy? He's and, like, oh, I can't not grind it up. It's so, it's so sexual. So the, so the it's a sexual thing. He never liked the sexual liquor. He never liked <laughs> Greedo in the first place. So he ground up his body to make liquor and left only his head. <laughs> That's what I do when I don't like people. I drink them. Later on, some bounty hunters came to pick up Greedo's head, and he received a bounty hunter's funeral that was attended by few. <laughs> they have to add that in. Really so, twisting that knife. Who lives, who dies, who drinks your body, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was amazing. That's Greedo's story. Good lord. There is some conflicting info, though. Oh, really? Now, there's a deleted scene in episode one on the DVD that features a Rodian kid beating up Anakin, telling him that he cheated at the pod race, and that's why he won. Yes. Calling him a cheater. And the other kids pull him off, and they say, <laughs> keep this up, Greedo, and you're going to come to a bad end. I remember that! But why would Greedo be on Tatooine as a child? It contradicts his backstory in yes, the EU. Yes, it does. 
And... Unless he went to Tatooine, like, a lot younger than we thought. Right. And then, like, instantly went through puberty, like, the next day. But it said he was a teenager when he uh, when he was hanging out with the bounty hunters. Right. In Arshada. And also, they, he showed up in the Clone Wars cartoon as, like, a younger guy, kind of a teenager bounty hunter. He was should have been on... Nor Shaddaa or Tatooine at that point. Right. Especially in the Clone Wars, if you think... Because it said that Greedo was born in, like, 44 BBY. So mm-hmm. at the time he died, he was, like, 44 years old. Yeah. But again, that's going off the Episode 1 timeline. So Greedo's timeline is kind of all over the place. Not really sure what his true story is. We know All we know is he got shot by Han Solo. He worked for Jabba the Hutt. He was a bounty hunter. He's a Rodian. And not wearing a jacket. Not wearing a jacket. Well, he had a jacket, actually. And that jacket that what? he wore in the cantina yeah. is the same outfit that every other Rodian character wore in the original trilogy. Wait, really? They, they all wore the same they outfit? They saved the costume and they saved the head. So the, there's Rodians in Jabba's palace that are wearing the exact same outfit. So it's literally just always Greedo. <laughs> pretty much. And they, one, they, the one in Jabba's palace they named Beedo. Are you serious? <laughs> they made, they made, it, made him uh, Greedo's cousin. And they made new Greedo costumes, or new Rodian costumes, I should say, for the special editions because they had a couple members of the new Backstreet band. There was the one Greedo dancer, like the lady later Rodian dancer. Yeah. And there was the there was a, a Rodian playing like a flute kind of thing. Sure. So. They made, that's the only time they ever made new Rodian costumes, except for when the prequels came out. But then it's extra confusing, because now it's like, why does every single Rodian except these two wear the same outfit? Like, so, why do these yeah. two not wear the why same outfit? Are, this one has boobs? Maybe because they're, maybe like, because they're artists. They're artists. Well, they're they artists. Like, they that's wear, true. Like, wild they're, stuff. Part of, they're part of the Rodian theater tradition. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that Greedo is played by a woman, and it's yes. true. When, those are for the parts wherever Greedo's has the animatronic head on. Yeah. His little snoot moves around. Right. That's a woman named Maria de Aragon. Aragon. Why Aragon? Um, and any sort of uh, shots of Han Solo and Greedo in the same shot together yes. is played by a different actor named Paul Blake. Because Greedo had to look bigger? or well, had, like, couldn't, Apparently they did reshoots when they realized Greedo's face wasn't moving around as much as they wanted. Okay, gotcha. So the animatronic head did some reshoots with Maria. Gotcha, gotcha. And I thought this was interesting. He speaks Rodian. But in the movie, the language you speak is actually Quechua, which is a native language of I South know America. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, the ancestors, um, the descendants of the Incas. Yes, he's speaking speak Quechua. Quite- Quechua. Yeah, he's speaking Quechua. Wow! Is he really? I yeah. never, I, or at least I thought I had never heard Quechua spoken. That's now really you have. cool. Yep, all the concept art in New Hope called the Rodians Martians or Graffitis. And after American Graffiti. Oh, get it, get it, get it. Yeah. Oh. And so they didn't know what they were called till later, and they'd be called them Rodians in the EU. And then this is one of the things I was talking about earlier that actually became part of the canon. Because uh, in the Clone Wars cartoon and in the original trilogy, I believe, they call them Rodians out loud. Oh, so that came and right Lucas there. Lucas used Rodians in the script of episode one. So evidently he liked it. So that's one of the few things that has made the jump from EU to canon. Is it's the like a solid name. Rodians, yeah. So yeah, that's that's the tale of the Rodians, Greedo, and the musical about him that now, should be made. I have a question. Yes. If Greedo and Grima were in a room together, who would shoot first? Uy. Do you think Grima's really a shooty kind of guy? Uh, he's more of like a stab you in no. the back kind of guy. Here's, well, here's what Grima would do. Grima would tell Greedo a very simple lie that Greedo would definitely believe wholeheartedly. <laughs> Greedo would suddenly age 90 years. He'd be like, let me see your gun for a second, Greedo. He's like, okay, fine. Here, check it out. It's a sweet bounty hunter gun. Give it back to me so I can shoot you. He's like, okay. And he shoots him right there. I think that's probably going to go. You're probably right. Yeah. You're probably right. I mean, like, in the movies, when you're just looking at worm time, you're like, obviously this guy is duplicitous. Like, he doesn't bathe. His lips are super chapped. He's like long, yeah. lank, black hair. Like, obviously he's lying. But I feel like Greedo was stupid enough that he would, like, not pick up on any of those cues. No. He'd be like, this guy looks trustworthy. He's a normal guy to me. Yeah. 
That's the story of Greedo. You can see why I didn't put him in the tournament, because he definitely would have gotten killed in the first oh, round. Oh, he definitely would have, but, like, his story was really fun, so thank you so much for dedicating the entire episode. No problem. I know, as a kid, I love Greedo. Love wow. them Rodians. Let's see them in the new movies. Let's see when episode nine well, make it happen. Well, hopefully the second unit director will Come do us on. a solid and put him in there. Victoria Mahoney, put Victoria a Rodian Mahoney. in there. Rodians. Please. All right, awesome. Well, you guys can hit us up online at our shiny, newly revamped Squarespace website. Yep. They're not even sponsoring us, so we had to pay full price for it, just so you guys know. Like, We're not brought to you by Squarespace. We're not brought to you by easy. Squarespace, no. no. Or the Panoply Network. No. Um, so it is www.whatslightsabersprecious.com, and you can hit us up at our email, which is whatslightsabersprecious at gmail.com. Right. You can On that website, you can see our gallery. You can see my Winnie the Pooh, Lord of the Rings mashup. Check that out. It's uh, chilling, I would say. I would say, too. Easily, yeah. Um, you can also see us on facebook and twitter if you do the social media thing just google what's lightsabers precious facebook or what's lightsabers precious twitter and that's how i would do it and it would come up anything else Uh, rate us rate us like us subscribe to us one rating equals one unmissed shot yes exactly one ungiven away shot don't 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 throw away your shot (laughs) give us a vote okay yeah make it happen big us up Yes. All right, and we will see you guys next week. We have something. We have to. End, we're going to do something to end it up to get people to listen past all of our plugs, Joanna. Oh crap! What are we going to do? What I'm doing is finding a random article on Wikipedia. I'm hitting the random button. Okay. And I'll read you a fact from it. All right. The Symphonica Crunchin' Grand was a symphonic, a historical work of music that recounted the formation of the Gungan Grand Army. Did you know? I did not know that. It was made famous by the male Gungan Bizarre Pert. Conductor of the Great Municipal Pert. Band. These are Pert Plus for kids. A group of Musica Gungs that perform the piece. Oh my god. Thank god, Ryan, I have you. Because, like, none of those words make sense to me. Neither in nor out of that order do they make sense me to me. Me neither. I hit random too. Yeah. I got, this is very appropriate, Golden House, which is another term applied to Metacell, the Golden Hall of the Kings of Rohan. Is that where Glowering lived? No. <laughs> years and years and years after Glowering. It's a wooden building. Do you think they would put Glowering in there? This could be a very big building. No, it's where King Theoden hung out. All right, nice. nice. You know, prematurely senile with worm tongues. And hopefully that made you listen past the credits. I don't think it did, but bye. Bye! Bye!